Welcome to Study Buddy, meditation philosophy for the heart of your practice. This is a live online discussion of ancient yogic texts amongst meditation practitioners in the Shambhavananda yoga tradition. My name is Acharya Satyam, I'm the resident teacher at Konalani Yoga Ashram in Hawaii, and I welcome you with love and respect. And attempting to um, keep with this slightly adjusted class format, we are going to dive right into the material. We'll save the movement for the middle of class. We're going to attempt to uh, talk about uh, the sutras in, in a couple of sections, interspersing it with meditation practice. So I'm very excited for class tonight. Um, for tonight's class, I wanted to do a callback to the last sutra because Shiva Sutra 3.31 is really just an expansion pack of Shiva Sutra 3.30. It takes the same concept and then reapplies it to some slightly different uh, directions. And uh, so 3.30 um, was right over there. Basically, to summarize it, you can read, it says, for the yogi, this universe is the embodiment of their collective energies. To be perfectly honest, I've worked with the sutra for a long time. And even when I read it, I'm like, what does that mean again? And um, in my opinion, as I've worked with it, and as we've discussed in this class, this sutra is attempting to show us that the whole universe is Shiva. And we are also Shiva. And that this whole universe is actually an expansion of our own collective our collective totality of all of our energy is what this universe is. So we're Shiva, the universe is Shiva, but how do we actually use that in our practice? How do we have that realization? So it's not just an idea, because we've seen in the sutras that doesn't count just to be able to say something. Um, and so through the sutra, the big takeaway uh, was really sort of at the end of the sutra when it, it drops this word simultaneously as a method of getting us from seeing our world as a collection of objects and seeing ourself as more or less an object, to be perfectly honest, a personality, an ego, an emotion, to, to walking from that, that type of awareness walking gradually but surely to an expanded awareness that the text was calling God consciousness. So we are not pushing away these objects. We're not accepting them or rejecting them. We're using our practice simultaneously alongside our interaction with our world. Beauty of this is that our lineage has put this in, into our practice everywhere we look. You know, from day one, when you were introduced to Seva, you know, someone at the ashram or someone at the yoga center told you, you're not just breaking these sticks into kindling. You're not just pulling a weed, right? They were like, you're pulling the tensions, you're pulling the thoughts out and you're you're casting those aside. You're not just chopping a carrot. You're focusing and disciplining your mind with every chop. We've been introduced to this every step of the way. That's the case with these sutras a lot. Uh, we have a living, living teacher and a living lineage. So we actually know all this stuff. It's just really exciting to be able to see it through these ancient lenses. And to, it helps us refocus on our work. So... Um, Let's just look, let's glance at that section uh, that came up at the very end of the sutra. Uh, and let's see here. Who haven't we? Sangeeta, we, are you close enough to the screen to be able to unmute and read the purple section? Yes. Thanks, go for it. Oh, and yeah, go for it. If you think that in practicing yoga, God consciousness is to be possessed, and that which is other than God consciousness is to be discarded, that is not the proper understanding. 
The correct understanding is that you must unite these two together. God consciousness must be united with objective consciousness and objective consciousness must be united with God consciousness. And one last sentence. When you simultaneously possess this kind of knowledge, then knowledge and the known will be not separated. Thank you. Yeah, they will be not separated. That is such a classic non-dualistic kind of phrase, isn't it? They will be not separated. Anyway. Okay, so right away we're told it's not rejecting objects and interestingly not quote unquote accepting you know you might say you know god consciousness meaning trying to grab onto oh this is this is shiva oh no this is shiva oh no this this practice is shiva oh no this realization is shiva it's it's baba said it all becomes compost so it's not accepting or rejecting it's a simultaneity that we're after. Simultaneity. When you simultaneously possess this kind of knowledge and this is a part of our practice, like I said, every step of the way in Seva, but think about mantra. Where does a mantra start? In the mouth. How does a mantra begin? It begins as words. And then what do you do with them, right? What do you do with them? I don't know. What do, you, what do you do with them? That's the beauty of it. When you practice a lot, you're learning to do this magic trick where you're starting with an object and you're going somewhere else, not into your thoughts, you know, not into your fantasies. You're going to this very specific place. It might, we say it, you know, the next stage down is the throat. We say that you do the mantra slower and you do it quieter. But is that really where you're going? Yes and no. What does the throat represent? It represents going inside. It actually represents a chakra. It actually represents energy. You're starting to identify more with your energy than the object. Have you cast aside the mantra? Absolutely not. You've simultaneously merged this physical object with something, this higher uh, awareness. And then of course the heart represents the next layer. When you get to the heart, the mantra is quieter yet, if not unaudible, but you have not cast aside the mantra. You have simply expanded your awareness to almost how Babaji says, he says when he's looking, when he's meditating, sometimes he looks down and it looks like he can see himself as this little spot and he's way up here. I'm like, wow, that would be so amazing to feel that. But we do feel that when you're able to do a mantra and you're feeling something more than just the physical object of it. So before we meditate on this, I wanted to, I got a question last week from a student who said, I can feel this connection of God awareness um, when I, and she specifically said, you know, when I'm like walking down the street and I look at the trees and I hear the birds and I feel the wind and I see the sky, I feel this God awareness that's lighter than this object awareness of just walking down the street. But, and then she gave a very specific example, which I thought was really helpful. This loud truck pulls up next to me, revs its engine and spews out all this exhaust and suddenly the word, this, this, this world that was infused with this higher ability or this higher awareness feels very contracted. And I feel very contracted. So what do you do then? And I think this is a very real part of our practice. When you're on your cushion, you're practicing something in a very, uh, you might call it like a, you're practicing it in a bit of a greenhouse environment. You know what I mean? It's a literal greenhouse where the circumstances are very rarefied. It's a quiet place. You know, the temperature is what you want, et cetera, for the most part. And 
Rudy would say that you don't want to grow your practice in a greenhouse exclusively because then you walk outside and it withers in the cold or it withers, you know, with the negativity you might experience. And so what this student is encountering is a moment where the path becomes very unclear how to go from object awareness to God awareness. It's literally like a path that you can't find the path. And it's overgrown with this tension. And so what do you do when you're hiking and you can't find the path? Tejvan, what would you do? Just literally, you can just all repeat whatever you say. Oh, yes. His answer is perfectly in alignment with our practice, <laughs> of course. Tejvan's here. He's a big hiker. He's always on the move like that. So take a breath, step back and look around. Cool. You know, and so, but it's not like you would charge ahead. I can't find the path. Better find that path. I mean, you would not do that. You would proceed very slowly. In fact, that's how we can learn to proceed in those situations. The reason we must proceed is because your energy is going to keep flowing, right? If you don't direct it, it will go right downhill in the easiest path it can find, which is our tension. So if we don't do something, we have to keep moving. We can't just, you know, we have to do something. And something might mean not moving, but not moving on purpose and trying to find which way can I go in this moment that will take me up towards this higher awareness and, and not worry about getting there in that one breath, but just knowing, just, just focusing your energy on, can I make one step or can I make no steps in this conscious way? And, and that is what I would recommend, you know, in that setting. Uh, and what I have felt a lot of times is I can't hold the whole object in that moment and this God awareness. I have to let that object go a little bit. It's too heavy. I can only hold a portion of it and that higher awareness. And so I got to, you know, you know, you got to like really be willing to take it at a slower pace. So let's do a little bit of practice to put this into action, and then we'll, we'll regroup. Um, and so I thought we could focus on mantra, because that was just such an easy metaphor for, for doing this. And we'll do mantra at uh, three levels. We'll start at the mouth. We'll do it out loud, literally feel in the mouth. We'll move to the throat, a little bit more there, a little quieter, and move to the heart. We've all, many of us have done this many times. But now you can see it through the sutra's lens and maybe have an even more profound, you know, personal experience. Okay, here we go. So Om Namah Shivaya at the mouth. Om Namah Shivaya and breathe. Om Namah Shivaya. So the object level is with us, and now we start the transition. This is where it gets fun. Awareness drops to the throat and start to feel the mantra as object, but also 
something that you're where are you detaching from it how are you expanding om namah shivaya 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 Let's do ten more here at the throat Om Namah Shivaya 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 And now I'll transition to the heart, and it'll get a little bit quieter. I might stay the same volume, but you can go quiet as you like. Try to feel the even bigger expansion of your awareness and how small the mantra as an object becomes. couple minutes with your breath. Notice with your breath, the mantra is not even a physical object. Yet it is still there. Your awareness is allowed to expand even more into the heart. Feel where your energy is going. Thoughts arise. These pull us into the object, awareness. 
you're sucked into the thought. It's fine. Just let it go. Repeat the mantra and try to feel this other direction that you can go towards the heart. Feel how you go there. Notice the actual work you do, no matter how small it may seem. And now allow your eyes to open, but remain focused on your breath and keep your mantra going. Objects everywhere. Can you feel just that you're not walking towards the objects with your awareness, but that you can, no matter how slowly, that you can walk the other direction. Not rejecting, expanding. Take uh, two minutes to write about this path for you. What does it feel like? How do you do it? In your own words, of course. About 30 seconds left. See if you can expand a little while you write.
if it's not too much trouble scanning through what you wrote, underlining a word, typing in the chat box, deepen in. Speaking behind the veil. Connecting. Salt rock dissolving into the ocean. Beauty in out. Connect. Keeping inner awareness. Settling. Expanding mantra within, following path to the heart. Sinking and opening. Heartbeat beyond subtle. Clarity. Would anyone like to expand on your word? Or I could just call on someone, but up to you. Oh, and I'm going to unspotlight at this point. So, so if you want to be in gallery mode, go for it. Do we have an unmuter in the house? Uma. Um, I thought about the quote from Rudy that he says that everything is energy or a manifestation of energy. And so like, and I kind of like looked at all the people in the Sangha when we were like just breathing and like we all have like a face and like a body and like, but if you can like look through that there's like the energy behind the person. Um, so that's kind of like what I meant, like looking behind the veil, like just not taking things as like their manifestation, but like seeing the energy behind it. Thanks, Uma. Yeah, you know, I think we have this, um, I do, I will just say I do. I have an, uh, an aversion to, to Maya, to the veils, to the, this illusion that it's almost like that's the bad guy and we're supposed to break through that to, to get to Shiva. And I'm like, well, then why is it a part of everything? Why is it in the tattvas? Why is it, is it, why, you know, why is it? It's not, couldn't be a bad, a bad guy. It's just absolutely a part of reality. And in the sutras, there's a, a moment, one little moment, one little sentence. And I think it's in the commentary of all things where it says um, that if, that there's no way for, for Shiva to manifest without this veil, that the veil is like the container. And uh, in that it's just, it's, it's simultaneous to Shiva in that uh, as we've been told in the sutras, Shiva is the only thing in the entire universe that is that you can never recognize through the veil. That you have to do the practice to recognize Shiva. For example, if we were all at a masquerade party, you could talk to me for a while, and you'd eventually be like, "That's Satyam behind this mask. I can totally tell," you know. But if it was Shiva, you could talk all night. You would never be able to tell. Like I just don't know who it is. So Shiva is the only one that you have to actually do the practice to remove the veil. There's no physical way to remove it, but that it's absolutely a part of reality. And I think that's really cool that you sort of honed in on that word, because that is definitely what we're doing here, especially in this sutra. Any other unmuters? All right, Bob. Um, a few years back, Baba got me interested in a series of books that have to do with the Navajo. And um, the Navajo are always talking about walking in beauty. And I know for myself that as the, the person that wrote to you was describing walking around and seeing uh, the beauty and that uh, the truck came up and knocked that beauty away. Um, I, for myself, many experiences 
when I felt the most expansive, uh, I have not only felt a deep joy in my heart, but everything around me looked very beautiful. And uh, so that's, that's what this made me feel, think about. Thanks, Bob. And thanks for honing in on that aspect of the, of the practice, you know, that, that we can be in this expansive space and have it almost be dissolved in front of us. And I know you didn't exactly go here when you were talking, but that maintaining that connection, maintaining that awareness of the beauty in the face of that disillusion and that dissolving that when it's taken away is actually an equally important practice for us to do. So I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but like I sort of like saw that as a stepping stone for what you were talking about. Cool. And then the pulling and the walking part, I, I really did, uh, the, the walking on the path, you know, it really was a big part of my exploration of this sutra was that the actual act of walking is a, a really great way of understanding the, the amount of energy we need to spend to redirect towards this, towards God awareness. It's not a huge Herculean effort. It's a very subtle effort. So thanks for bringing that up again as well. And so we're going to take a moment to pause and, and do a little bit of conscious movement. And then we're going to jump right back into the sutras. I'm going to zoom out. You're welcome to stand up where you're at. Mm, before you stand up. Okay. <laughs> um, just feel your body. And just as Satyam has been directing us to take that almost single pointed focus and start to soften and expand if you can observe yourself consciously coming up to your feet and it is fine to stay seated if that's more comfortable but notice um, any aversion you have to moving right now and see if you can open oh, up right. and feel the sweetness that your consciousness brings to um, being inside your body right now and whether you're seated or standing, you can gently start to shift the weight from foot to foot. And imagine your footprints, that beautiful C shape from the heel up the edges, across all the toes. Try to envision the weight pouring down into the heel, the side, the ball of the foot. And then let the movement get smaller and smaller until there's equal weight in both feet, equal weight from heel to forefoot. And ever so gently bend the knees, letting yourself land in those perfect footprints, soften through the spine, soften through the shoulders and start to um, lift one shoulder at a time. And so let's start on the same shoulder. As you lift your right shoulder up and back, push a little extra down into the left foot and feel that sense of spaciousness from foot to opposite shoulder, and then go the other way. So now the left shoulder lifts and circles back and the right foot pushes. Move at whatever pace is comfortable, but try to keep this zoomed out perspective of watching your whole body move while still keeping that consciousness at the heart. Try pushing a little extra into one foot at a time and notice if that allows you to create more space through all of the joints up through ankle, knee, hip, spine to opposite shoulder. And for the last couple, add the gaze in. So whatever shoulder circling back, look over that shoulder and allow the neck to ever so gently express soft movement effortlessly. And then gently come back to center and we'll finish by scooping the air up with the arms. You can keep the body straight or push down into the feet, letting the front of the body open a little bit. If it feels good, drop the elbows into a big bowl, take a couple of breaths. 
and then push into the feet, reaching up, melt the arms down and take your time consciously refining your seat if you came to standing and really try to feel as you move, keep paying attention instead of thinking of like, oh, now that's over. It's like, no, it's just this continuous mm. conscious path that we walk. <laughs> the transitional parts were mm. a really big deal. Transitions was, are the hardest part, aren't they? I was so quick to. <laughs> Thank you. So. Let's practice saying our next sutra, which is 3.31. Stiti layal. Stiti layal. The universe is the expansion of the yogi's energy in objective impressions and in the dissolution of those impressions. The last sutra was talking about how the whole universe is an expansion of our, of our collective energy. Okay. We took that to mean that we're Shiva and that this universe is Shiva and that we have to train our awareness to not identify with the object, but with the, the bigger totality of our awareness. And now we're saying that this universe is the expansion of this energy, this Shiva energy, not just in the initial engagement of seeing the objects around you, but also in the phase of when that object is left and it's just a thought in your mind, an, an impression, it's called an objective impression, or when that memory even fades itself, that Shiva is a part of every phase, our practice is a part of every phase of our reality. I'm going to, I apologize, I probably should have um, spotlighted to make the screen a little bit bigger for those of you. There you go. So there's three new words we're gonna learn here in the sutra and I'll write them right here, 3.31. We've got the, the phases these are the phases of, of reality that the sutra is talking about. We've got, you can say it as you write it if you like, srishti, srishti. That is the action phase or the creation phase or the initial observable phase of Shiva. Then we've got stiti. And that is in the sutra, you see the word stiti, right? Well, that is the uh, I should write this with a creation. This is the maintenance phase is what we're going to refer to it mostly as, but it's also the phase of thoughts, okay? And then we've got layao or laya if it's unconjugated, um, which is the dissolution phase. And so we've seen these phases of Shiva uh, many times before. We've been introduced to this for, for a long time creation, maintenance, and dissolution. All objects undergo this. Uh, this is the universe in a nutshell. This is our day. This is our breath. This is everything, everything, right? And so these three phases or these three modes of our practice um, engage our ability to surrender in different ways. And that to me is, is, is the, the work of this sutra trying to help us see that surrender is not just the initial surrender the you know taking on the sankalpa and open arms and thank you for this extra practice but the sankalpa the extra practice also has the phase of you're eight months in and does babaji even remember you're doing this sankalpa and i don't want to do it and what if i stopped that part right and then also the when the sankalpa comes to an end 
and you don't really know what to do with yourself at that time of night, you know, and you've got this energy, but it has no container. That they that 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 sankalpa, for example, this extra practice concept goes through these, it teaches you these three different ways to surrender. And so let's look at this in the text. When this objective world, here we go. It's supposed to be, it was highlighted before. Sorry. So uh, for the text, let me just, the highlights went away for some reason. Okay, got it. All right, so who would like to read the Arjun, would you mind unmuting and reading for us? Sure. When this objective world is shining vividly in your sphere of organs, that is the state of creation, Shristi Dasa. But it is not only in the state of creation that this universe is one with his real energies of God consciousness. This universe is also one with his energies when only impressions of this objective world remain, or when these impressions melt in voidness at the time of death or deep sleep, or when one is rendered unconscious. Thanks, Arjun. That's just a little brief overview of these, these three states that we're talking about. The state of creation, it says, I love how it writes it here when the objective world is shining vividly in your sphere of organs. <laughs> it's like shining in your eyes and your ears and your, your taste buds or, or even in your mind. Those are all organs, according to yoga. They're all organs, the mind and the senses. But that that state of creation is, is not, that's not the only place Shiva exists. Shiva exists in that phase after that initial flash. Shiva exists in that that maintenance period when, you know, it's like you meet someone and that's awesome, but then there's a sweetness in being comfortable with someone in quiet because you've known them for so long, right? It's like, there's a sweetness. There's a, a level of, of that bliss in every phase. And there's even a, a, a bliss in just allowing things to dissolve, to have some time alone, for example, or to go on a walk, to feel that space, that quiet space inside yourself, that they're all available to us. So I mentioned that these are three phases of surrender, and I would like to offer you an analogy that could help you play with this in your practice because muscles also have three phases of work. And Rudy, called surrender a psychic muscle right so i had the good fortune of being able to be in the workout room with babaji this morning <laughs> it's pretty rare okay it's pretty cool and i was you know really happy to be in there it's just sort of helping him with some new workouts some lat pull downs and we're doing other stuff and he's you know um we were talking about the the phase of when you're when you've got the weight and like the chains pulling it back and how you, if you slowly let it go back, how that can be really good for you working out, you know, and that's called the eccentric phase when a muscle's contracting, like if you're slowly letting the bar pull back, or if you're slowly placing something down on the ground that was heavy, your muscles lengthening, but it's still contracting. And we all know about the concentric phase. I should have written that down. Eccentric lengthening you don't really need to know this but it could be fun while contracting and then there's the east or the concentric which we all know about that's just simply when a muscle shortens and contracts bicep curl picking up a baby you know whatever it might be in your daily life um shortens and contracts and then there's the isometric phase did these out of order it's going to be great for later um when you're holding something like you're holding the baby and the muscle's not lengthening or contracting but you're just holding it or her or him you know um or whatever object and that's when it is maintaining its length while contracting a good workout 
a good uh, approach to any kind of movement practice should give you awareness at each stage of these phases. When you do a mala of mantra, the first few mantras have a certain type of energy, a certain type of surrender that it takes to do mantra. Then mantras like 30 through 100 or 30 through 90 or whatever have a different kind of energy. It's like this maintenance energy, this maintenance level of surrender that you have to do to, it's a different kind of work. And then when the mala ends and you just let yourself rest in that state of emptiness while being aware, that's a different kind of surrender, a different phase of our work. Each one is important. And weirdly enough, it might be the one you're least familiar with that you need to work on which is interesting, which is the purpose of this sutra to show you that there are these three phases to our work. And we tend to do the one we like the most best. That's great. But if you really want to grow, could be physically or spiritually, you could, you need to learn about the other phases and put your awareness there as well. What's sort of fun about the breath is that these three phases are built into our breath too. So I want to just do a little bit of breath meditation with you right now and, um, and, and just sort of highlight those phases for you to work on in your own practice. So go ahead and just lengthen the breath flow a little bit so it's a little slower, a little longer than normal, and it's nice and smooth. So right now you are doing repetitions of your breath. Now, very, the simplest pranayama there is, puraka rechaka, inhaling and exhaling with awareness and with the slightest effort. There are parts of this breath that you're taking right now that you have naturally more awareness of. And there are parts of this breath you're taking that you are not really that aware of. That's just natural. The concentric phase of the breath, you could say, is that initial moment of the inhale. And that's that moment that we're all pretty easily aware of. When the breath comes in through the nose, it's cooler than the body, so you feel it. The body expands a little bit. To, there's, there's effort there. That concentric phase, or that, to use the Sanskrit, that shristi phase of the breath is usually pretty easy to feel. But that phase is much shorter than you think. The effort of taking an inhale is actually pretty much over almost instantly. It's like a ramp of effort, but then the effort plateaus very quickly. And there's a very gentle remaining aspect to your inhale. And then the exhale is even more gentle. And for our purposes, that the whole part all the way to near the end of your exhale is the maintenance phase of your breath. And then the pause after the exhale, which is so easily missed, that little moment of void, the laya, the disillusion phase. So in one breath, you have this Sharp creation phase, easy to feel, shristi. This plateaued, gentler shift of awareness, the stiti maintenance phase, follows you all the way to almost the end of your exhale. And then the very end of your exhale, the laya or disillusion phase, as you allow the breath to pause without any holding of it. So see if knowing those three phases of your breath right now allow you to interact with it more consciously.
don't concern yourself too much with the pinpoint moments of the phases. Rather, just try to feel that there are transitions of the breath, that it's not all one dimensional, one kind of effort, that there are three different experiences happening. Now let yourself completely release all mental engagement with breathing, meaning don't worry about where the phases are. Don't worry about any of those pinpoints at all. But notice that you have this ability to feel it more thoroughly simply because you know there's a lot of terrain there. How can you breathe right now in a way that expands you from the breath as an object and the breath more as an experience of your true nature? Bringing the mantra hum to the inhale, sa to the exhale. You start to see how the yogis are helping us to, to feel these phases of the breath. And you can feel this path, this step-by-step-by-step -step -step path. It's so gentle the way we walk there. Just like walking in beauty, as Bob was referring to. It's, it's effortless effort 
but it is directed. In this greenhouse moment, you can rewire yourself. You can get more in touch with this work not so that it can be maintained exactly as it is in this setting, but so that you can find it at, to whatever degree is possible when you need it, which is always. So once again, you can allow your eyes to open. But there's the breath still happening in all of its phases. You can feel your ability to surrender. No one can really take that from you. They can definitely slow you down. That only sort of seems to make you stronger in the long run. And so I hope um, for the next couple of weeks, you'll enjoy either reading through the sutra yourself and or incorporating some of this work in your personal practice. Um, I did want to just take the last minute and a half of class to say that um, uh, I received an email um, from Natra Johnny. She was saying, I'd like to dive deeper. I'd want to do these free writes on my own. I want to read this philosophy and do this self-study. Um, so how do I do that? What do I do? And I will say first and foremost that our primary text is, uh, whoops, over here, is going to be Lakshman Ju's Shiva Sutras, uh, just for the record. Jayadeva Singh's is pretty complex, and that's called the Shiva Sutras Revealed. Lakshman Ju ebook, regular book, at your used bookstore probably. Um, but uh, also, I see this next two weeks. Uh, until we meet again, as I thought it could be an opportunity. And this is where I'll leave it in your court. Um, if anybody wants to volunteer to work with this a little bit more deeply in their personal practice and simply to work with it a little more deeply, do a couple of free writes, you know, at home, and then simply share something on Marco Polo. Uh, so that in the next two weeks, uh, this is a, for a couple of us, it's really going to be percolating, you know, and then for the others, it's sort of a reminder of the work so that it's not just like starting from scratch two weeks from now, but it's sort of in your court. And I know I'm sort of an uh, overachiever, so I think this would be great, but not everybody's lives are going to permit that. Um, but would anybody, could I get two people to volunteer to work with this more deeply in the next two weeks and do a couple of free rights and then share on Marco Polo. We have three. What a great <laughs> showing for our first time out. Um, so Radharani, Dr. Johnny and Kayla, I look forward to your work. Just keep it simple, keep it real, have fun with it, but um, it's in your court. Let's see where it goes from here. And for everybody else, thank you so much for uh, an extra two minutes of your time tonight. Namaste. Are we not having class next week? Oh, um, well, next week, thank you. Thank you, Yogita. Um, next week is going to be a presentation from Anju and Dharma on the topic of structure. So thank you, Yogita. I needed to make that okay. plug and I forgot. Um, so uh, we won't be talking about this, but we'll be talking about other related things and uh, looking forward to that, Anju and Dharma. Thanks for your work, by the way. All right. And I'll stay behind if there's any other questions, but thank you again. Jai Jai